First Kings chapter 18. Just while you're turning there, uh, late one afternoon, the pilot of a uh, one of the major airlines in the U.S. was circling his destination airport, trying to land. But the longer he flew, the worse the weather became. And it looked like he was going to be up there for an awful long time. That was particularly frustrating to him because his church were holding special meetings that evening and he really did want to get his plane on the ground and be on his way. When it looked like the weather was getting really bad, he decided to pray. And he said, Lord, would you just make a way for us like we were singing earlier on? And then before he knew where he was, there was an opening in the clouds, there was permission to land, came over the uh, radio, and he was on the ground in his car and on his way to church, able to make the meetings that he so wanted to attend. And as he's driving along, he, he gives uh, thanks to God, he said, thank you, Lord, for that. And then it suddenly struck him, well, there's an awful lot of my colleagues still up there. And so he said to the Lord, how come that I got on the ground and I'm on my way home and lots of my friends are still circling the airport? And quick as a flash, the answer came back, you asked, they didn't. And that's prayer. The puzzle of prayer is that we get to tell God what he already knows and ask him to do what he already desires. And the power of prayer is that the God of heaven has promised to hear us and to answer. When we pray, something always happens. And right now we're in a season of prayer. And in order for us to be able to engage in this season of prayer with both confidence and faith, I want us to look at this chapter and draw out some principles of prayer. It's a familiar Old Testament story, 1 Kings chapter 18, and it's the account of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Now, let me try and set this in context for us. For three years, God has shut up the heavens over Israel. Ahab has allowed Jezebel to bring Baal into the land, and the prophets of Baal have seduced the whole of the nation. Things have got to such a point that idolatry, immorality, and child murder are rampant. And so, in judgment, God has sent a drought that's resulted also in a famine. Elijah's the only champion of God, and things have gotten to such a pitch that he decides to challenge the prophets of Baal to a spiritual duel on the summit of Mount Carmel, which was the center for Baal worship. And so outnumbered 850 to 1, Elijah challenges them to assemble. And you know the story, the, there are two altars, and the one who calls down fire to consume the sacrifices, they're the one whose God really is the Lord. Well, nothing happens to the prophets of Baal. 
But when Elijah opens his mouth, fire comes from heaven, the sacrifice is consumed, the altar is consumed, the water that he's poured all over it is consumed. And it's clear that God is the Lord. And that's where all of us stop. We stop at the end of verse 19. But what I want to do, uh, sorry, at the, at the end of verse 40. But what I want to do is to read on from verse 41 through to verse 45. The other side of the story of Mount Carmel. So let's start reading, shall we? And it's going to come up on the screen behind me. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again. He repeated it seven times. And at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. In the earlier part of the chapter, Elijah's action is very public. There he is on top of Mount Carmel. But in this part of the chapter, his action is private. And I think that underlines for us a spiritual principle that significance is not the same as prominence. And what Elijah does here in secret is equally, more, is equally as powerful, if not more so, than what he did in public at the beginning of the chapter. For here, through prayer, he presses home the victory, he breaks the drought, he brings the rains, he secures a breakthrough, and he ushers in a whole new season of blessing. And there are several details in this prayer of Elijah's, or this part of the prayer of Elijah that actually speaks to us about our prayer. I've entitled this message, Praying for Breakthrough, and we see the first principle of prayer in verse 42. It says, Elijah went to the top of Carmel. This shows us, first of all, the commitment to prayer. Now, Elijah's just experienced the high point of his ministry. I've described it, two altars, two sacrifices. And yet, when the prophets of Baal were impotent, Elijah opens his mouth and down comes fire. That's right up there with the opening of the Red Sea or the fall of the walls of Jericho. But it didn't replace the need for Elijah to go up the mountain a second time and begin to pray. And neither did the fact that in verse 1 of the chapter, God has given him a promise that prayer is going to come. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders, 
demonstrations of power, and even the promises of God are no substitute for prayer. Prayer is God's timeless call on the church. An invitation that we are to constantly respond to. E.M. Bounds wrote about prayer. God shapes the world through prayer. Prayer is the means by which Christ carries out his great work on the earth. John Wesley said, God does nothing except in response to prayer. And God himself says, if my people pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Prayer isn't a response to a feeling. It's a commitment that we make. And when we do, we are following the example of all the men and women who were great men and women of God right the way from biblical times throughout church history. Jesus prayed in the garden. Susanna Wesley prayed in her kitchen. John Wesley prayed on horseback. Alexander McLaren, the Bible teacher, went on prayer walks. Spurgeon prayed in his rocking chair. And David Brainart, the first missionary to the Aboriginal people of North America, used to ride deep into the forest to pray and commune with God. If we wait to pray until we feel like it, Guess what will happen? Absolutely nothing. Mike Bickle, the founder of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, outlines three stages of prayer. Decision, discipline, delight. But prayer begins with a decision. That underscores for us the commitment to prayer. Now, That's the first principle, and here's the second. Just look at verse 43. It says, and he said to his servant, Elijah didn't go up Carmel alone when he went up a second time. He took his servant with him. And this shows us the second principle of prayer, the plurality of prayer. An old African proverb says, run alone, And you can run fast. Run together and you can run far. And nowhere is that more true than in the area of prayer. You know, in the Gospels, there are 37 verses that are devoted to teaching on prayer. And 33 of them assume that when we pray, when we are praying, we are praying together. We are praying with somebody else. We are praying in the context of a group. So when Jesus says to his disciples, when you pray, say, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, the you is plural. When he tells his disciples, ask and it will be given you, the verb ask is plural. When he says, whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do. The you is plural. In Acts, the same principle is underscored. You get the theory of it in the Gospels. You get the practice of it in Acts. Before the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, 120 men and women are in the upper room praying together. 
The church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And they did it together. When the Sanhedrin threatened the early church to try and silence the preaching of the apostles, in Acts 4, they all met together and they prayed with such power that the room where they were actually shook with the presence of God. And the night before Peter's scheduled execution, the church prayed together. And as a result of that, angels were dispatched, chains were broken, the iron prison gate opened of its own accord, and Peter was set free. When we pray, something always happens. Prayer that requires a commitment. And prayer requires plurality. Now there's a reason why it requires plurality. And it's this, that prayer is synergistic. And by that I mean the spiritual energy released when a hundred people pray together is much more than if a hundred people prayed separately. Five shall chase a hundred, the scripture says, and a hundred shall chase ten thousand. You would have expected it to be two thousand. But actually, there's a 500% return. We are better together. And when we pray together, there's a whole fresh dynamic that's released. Let me tell you a story that illustrates this. The uh, Broughton Suspension Bridge near Manchester in the United Kingdom was the first suspension bridge to be built in the UK. It was 44 meters long, it went over the river Irwell, and it was an, an engineering wonder. It stood in place for six years and served very well. But then on the evening of April the 12th, 1831, 74 soldiers from the 60th Rifle Corps marched across the bridge. They were four abreast. And as they marched across the bridge in unison, they felt the planks underneath them begin to move. And they thought, oh, this, this really feels nice. And so somebody started to whistle a marching tune. And they got into it even more and they started to really stamp and get into it. And the bridge started to move. Soon, one of the towers that held the bridge up came crashing down. And with it, the whole bridge came unraveled. Now, when engineers went to do uh, an inquest or a, a, a sort of a, an examination on, on what had happened, they discovered that the tramping of the soldiers in Union had set up mechanical resonance that had sent shockwaves into the metal structure that had literally caused it to come unraveled. And from that time on, uh, an edict went out through the British Army, still in effect today, that says when soldiers march across a bridge, they're to break step because the united marching in unison of troops unto purpose is too destructive. Now translate that 
into prayer and you realize why it's better to pray together. Here's another story underscoring the same truth in a completely different theater. 2013, the International uh, Hockey World Championship Finals. Ladies hockey. The USA versus Canada. And you you know the emotion that that uh, releases. Katie Stone, the coach of the US team, got her ladies together and she said this. If you guys go out there and think me, you'll win silver. If you go out there and think we, you'll win gold. And they did. They didn't work as individual superstars, but they worked together as a team and it paid dividends. And throughout this month, we've got a great opportunity to underscore this truth of synergistic prayer, that we can pray together. That 24-hour prayer at Carlsbeck, that's a great opportunity to, to go and, and, to, and to join in what's happening. Go and take a friend. Or maybe have a coffee time and invite three or four people to come and pray through the goals that you guys are looking to God for, for a breakthrough in. Or come to the prayer summit here on January the 30th. Come and pray with others. And when you're praying, remember, that's what you're doing. You're sending out shockwaves into those areas into which you're praying. And you are really doing damage. First principle of prayer is commitment. Second principle of prayer is plurality. Now here's the third principle of prayer. In verse 1, God's made a promise, I will send prayer. I will, I will send prayer, thank you Lord. I will send rain. But the man of God doesn't leave the promise of God to self-fulfill. But he goes up the mountain, he and his uh, uh, servant pray together. And then in verse 43, he tells his servant, now go and look towards the sea. This is the focus of prayer. You see, the sea was where the weather came from. Rainstorms, showers in Israel invariably came from the Mediterranean Sea. And so as Elijah and his, and his servant are up there making a commitment to pray, operating in plurality, he says, okay, look out to sea because we are focusing on something as we pray. We are asking God to send the rain. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul likens prayer to a Roman soldier's sword. Now, the Roman soldiers didn't have swords like Braveheart's sword, one of those big two-handed things that, 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 that you know, you, you, you held back and then brought round in a great swath that may connect or may not connect. They had a short, two-foot-long, razor-sharp, needle-pointed 
sword called a gladius that was designed for close hand-to-hand combat. And when a Roman soldier was in training, they were trained to get up close and personal and, and aim that sword and thrust it or cut with it at specific areas in the enemy's body. And when you got trained men doing that, it was absolutely devastating. So when Paul likens uh, prayer to a Roman soldier's sword, he, he was underscoring how very devastating it is when it's focused on specific areas. I want to uh, show you a video in a minute, but I want to set it up for you. It may of last year, May 2018, the whole country, probably the whole world, was shocked by that awful crash uh, in Saskatchewan when that semi-trailer plowed into the, the bus that was carrying the Humboldt Broncos. Sixteen team members and their helpers were killed and 13 more were injured. One of them was a young man called Lane Matichuk. And uh, one of his relatives was in the church that we were working with in the park at the time. And so on our Tuesday evening, we made a point of focusing on praying for Lane. And the news that came from the hospital was, was not good. He was one of the most serious uh, injured players. He was in hospital uh, the longest. And, and we focused on prayer. Um, in fact, Joy, who was the relative, would contact the family and say, how can we pray? And they'd send back intelligence and we'd pray into that specific area. So, for example, on one week, we said, how can we pray? And they said, you know, he needs to sleep at night and he's not because his legs are very restless. Can you pray that that, that sort of restless leg syndrome that, that he's suffering right now stops? So we did. And he started to sleep like a baby. And then we said, okay, now how can we pray? Well, he's going for surgery this week. They removed flaps of his skull so his, his, his brain could swell without doing the maximum amount of damage. They're going to put them back. Pray that that's a success. So we did. And it was. And then after that, we said, how can we pray now? And they said, well... You can pray now by asking God to restore his speech because the doctors are saying they think that part of this brain that has to do with his speech is damaged. And so we started to pray. And then the news came back. He started to hum. And then he started using his words. Not, not whole sentences, but just the occasional word. So we prayed that God would increase that. And then the news came, can you pray about his movement? His, it, the, you know, his muscles are, are, are very weak his, and we're not sure about the signals. Can you pray that he'll be able to walk again? So Ben, let's just run that video. Months after he was severely injured in a bus crash that killed more than a dozen of his teammates, 18-year-old Lane Matichuk put on his skates 
and returned to the ice. Nine months. Yeah, it's been nine months since he skated since the accident, and yesterday was the first time on ice, and, and uh, we're going to keep working on it. Every week we're going to have him on the ice again. The intersection where Friday's deadly crash occurred is marked by a cross made of hockey sticks. Lane was traveling with his team, the Humboldt Broncos, in Saskatchewan last April when their bus collided with a truck. 16 people were killed. Lane was one of 13 injured. He was in a coma for months and in the hospital for six months. We were by his side the whole time, every day, day after day. His dad, Kevin, says Lane suffered a brain injury, but has been working hard to recover. Seeing his son on the ice shows him that Lane's efforts have paid off. It was heartwarming just to see his pure determination. We were leery about about doing it just because we didn't know how well the muscle memory would be. But uh, he did fine. He's got a long ways to go, but he his determination uh, showed that uh, he'll be just fine. The family is optimistic for Lane's future. They hope he'll be able to start college in the fall, but they're just grateful Lane is still here and determined to recover from this tragedy. For InsideEdition.com, I'm Mara. Not great. And what they don't say, but we'll say and give God the glory for, is that it was through prayer and good medical care, but through prayer that that happened. Now, that's why you guys are uh, focusing on those five goals. Let's just put them up there, uh, 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 Ben. That this, this is your prayer focus. You know, you're praying for growth in prayer across the generations, for everyone finding their place in ministry. And there's details there about six new leaders and three new cells, 19 new people serving, intentional about welcoming uh, newcomers and the nations, impacting the community, 15 in EAL. That's good praying. That's focused prayer. And when you go at it, God is going to hear and he's going to answer. Howie Hendricks, who used to be the professor of hermeneutics at the Dallas Theological Seminary, said of prayer, guard against the slimy ooze of indefiniteness. In other words, be specific. Whatever you ask in prayer, Jesus says, and that presupposes that you've got a target of prayer, that you've got some specific things in your prayer crosshairs. Can I add two riders to this? As well as being focused, be bold. Don't ask God for something small. Ask him for something big. Don't ask God for what you imagine is possible, but ask God for what omnipotence can achieve. When, when Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was passing by and Jesus turned and said, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus could have said, well, will you give me some arms? He could have said, would you arrange for a, a better begging spot than the one I've got? He could have said, will you rebuke these tight-fisted citizens and tell them to be more generous with us beggars? But he didn't do any of that. He went for broke and he said, give me my sight. He asked for something big and that's what he got. 
And when we pray, let's not limit God to our own imagination for what we imagine could happen or might happen anyway. Let, let's, let's push the envelope out and ask God to really intervene and really work a miracle. Let's be bold. And the second thing I want to say is be expectant. When Elijah sent his servant to look out to sea, he was expecting the storm clouds to come. Now prayer is powerful, but it's not a slot machine. It's not automatic. And sometimes it's not instant. And Elijah knew this, and the physical posture that he took proved it. It says that, that he, he got down and he put his face between his knees. Now, actually, that was a posture that midwives put women in in those days in order to give birth. And what Elijah is doing here is giving birth to the promise of God through prayer. He knows that it's not going to happen in an instant. And so he gets down and he prays and prays and prays. And he keeps saying to his servant, go again and look, go again and look, go again and look. He doesn't give up. That brings us to the fourth principle of prayer. So, what's the first one? Commitment. Second one? Plurality. Third one? Focus. Fourth one? Persistence. The persistence of prayer. Sometimes... It might feel and seem like nothing's happening when we pray. Never believe that. When we pray, something is always happening. And when we pray, we have handed responsibility for the thing we are praying about over to God. We have put it in his hands. Our job is to ask. His job is to act. And our job is to keep on asking. Remember the acronym PUSH. Pray until something happens. Let me show you a picture again here. Some of you may have seen this picture. That was taken January the 7th, 2011. Uh, on Boxing Day 2010, uh, a lady in the Panic congregation had twin boys in the Health Sciences Center. The only problem was they were three months premature. And there on, on, on January the 7th, I was in the hospital visiting this little guy. And his hand is just about as big as my thumb, as my, my finger nail. On that date, this is what the hospital told his mother. As well as weighing only two pounds, this little guy had pulmonary hypertension and chronic lung disease. He couldn't breathe properly. He had necrotizing enterocolitis. His intestines were infected and in danger of packing in. His heart was malformed and leaking fluid and blood into his lungs. He had retinopathy of prematurity, an eye disease. And then he had anemia. And on top of that, he developed sepsis. That's quite the list when you're less than a month in this world and shouldn't be there at all for another two. One evening as I visited them, I asked the nurse how they were doing and she just shook her head. So we kept on praying. The church prayed. 
We prayed. House groups prayed. I went back. I said to the, another nurse, how's he doing? Well, she said, I don't know what you're doing, but keep on. It's making a difference. So we continued to pray. Not that God would make him comfortable. Not that he would pass away without pain. But that God would heal them both and raise them up and bring them through and give them to their mum and dad. Just put the next pictures up. And there they are. The sicker one's the one on the right, the real beefy one. He's going to be a linebacker. And you know what? That's the testimony to the persistence of prayer. Now in closing, look at verse 45. His servant says, I can see a cloud. Oh, verse 44, the size of a man's hand. And in verse 45, it says, the heavens grow black. Clouds and winds come and there's a great rain. The fifth principle of prayer, breakthrough. Commitment. Plurality. Focus. Persistence. Breakthrough. Let's say that again. It's important. Commitment. Plurality. Focus. Persistence. Breakthrough. Commitment. Plurality. Focus, persistence, and breakthrough. Commitment, plurality, focus, commitment, and breakthrough. We're not whistling in the dark when we pray. Energy is being released. God is at work. Angelic forces are being released. Circumstances are changing. Hearts are softening. History is being shaped. Circumstances are changing because when we pray, something always happens and God brings about the breakthrough. Now, I want to give us four takeaways, four applications. And the first is this. I believe that there are people here who have said, you know what? I can't pray like this. Like Elijah. Well, actually, James tells us that Elijah was a human being just like you and me. And I want to encourage some of you who are sitting on the benches to get in the game. Actually, it's not a game. That's a, that's a, that's a bad metaphor. But those who are passive, those who aren't praying, to make the commitment. You know what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to come. I'm going to join with my friends. And I'm going to begin to ask God. Secondly, I believe there's some here who are weary in prayer. That you've been praying and praying and praying and praying. And you've seen nothing yet. And this morning I want us to pray for you. And be like Aaron and her that held the arms of Moses so he could persist in prayer to see the victory pressed all the way through. Don't give up. Keep right on. Keep right on. Keep right on. And then for those who have said, you know what? I'm through with prayer. 
I prayed, nothing happened. That loved one died, that spouse never showed up, that baby never happened. And I'm finished with prayer. And I believe God wants to call you back into the battle because you're a warrior. And it's time to get your armor on again. It's time to pick up your sword. It's time to fall back in line and start marching. And then the fourth thing, and it's not on the screen, is the most important prayer anybody can pray is the prayer to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And this morning, we want to give you opportunity to pray that prayer. In fact, with your permission, Norman Aaron, I want to pray that prayer right now. And I want us to all pray it together. So if there's somebody who's praying it for the first time, it's easier for them. Okay, so why don't we do that? But remember, I can't pray. Yes, you can. I'm weary in prayer. Don't give up. Let's stand with you. And I'm through with prayer. Get back in the battle. Let's stand together. Let's all pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. I ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me and to come into my life. I make you my Savior, my Lord, and the treasure of my life. Amen.